Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to Gen C. Gen C is Generation Crypto. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how Web2 and Web3 brands are building for these audiences. I'm Sam Ewan from Coindesk, and our co-host is Avery Akinini from Vayner3. All right, Avery, great to see you. As always, I'm uh, excited to chat this week. We have an amazing guest as well that we'll talk about in a second. But first, the Super Bowl is this Sunday. And we actually just wrote an article on Coindesk yesterday about how, you know, last year it was sort of dubbed the Crypto Bowl because we had FTX and Crypto.com and Coinbase and eToro and all these companies spending millions of dollars on ad spots and millions more on talent, right? There's Larry David. There is the Fortune Favors the Bold from Matt Damon. Um, this year, it's kind of crickets out there after FTX. And there is one story around that Fox had turned down folks who wanted to advertise. And then there was a sort of counter argument to say, actually, that those companies pulled out because they no longer had the funds. One, I would love to sort of get your perspective on just going one year to the next. Secondly, who is doing some stuff that might have some blockchain correlation this year? Yeah, I think that they corrected that story to say, actually, just no crypto companies were participating. Pretty sure the networks take who's going to pay, like within reason. I, you know, have some inside sources who say they thought about it, but didn't end up going with it. It does not seem like a ban from what I heard. But, you know, I'd argue that last year was very focused on crypto trying to go mainstream, obviously, with sort of mixed results. There was some mainstream growth, but there was a lot of turmoil and a lot of volatility over the past 12 months. And while we're not going to see sort of Super Bowl commercials for crypto or sort of Web3 native brands this year in the same way that we did last year, I actually think we're going to see way more integrated marketing efforts. You know, if you look at what Reddit is doing, they're doing this sort of free claim digital avatar partnership with the NFL, which I think is amazing. Warner Music Group is hosting a concert in Roblox. Saweetie is sort of like headlining that, I believe which I think is kind of cool. I think these virtual concerts and virtual tent poles are going to become more and more important. I know there's going to be a couple of commercials that have QR codes that link to sort of a free virtual token or a free virtual collectible. And I think we'll see a lot of that sort of marketing effort is brands doing a commercial or a spot 
that links to something that might allow them to start building their Web3 community or hosting sort of parallel experiences in these virtual worlds, they kind of match what they're trying to do through their commercial, that same layer of storytelling. So that's sort of my prediction for what we see at the Super Bowl. I know a lot of our listeners might be heading to Phoenix or tuning in to sort of see all this stuff. I know it's always a very exciting week at Vayner. We love our ads. We have three spots this year, which I'm stoked to see it go live. Maybe we'll review them next week. And I think what you bring up with Reddit, you know, Reddit is still one of the maybe top 12 most visited sites on the internet. You know, it's giant. And correct me if I'm wrong, Avery, it's the brand with the largest amount of people who've been onboarded into blockchain. I think it's at this point, 4 million wallets were open to claim avatars. And their project this year is Super Bowl avatars that they dropped recently, which allow you to sort of claim an avatar, their snoo character with either of the teams, I think it's the Eagles or the Chiefs, or you can sort of just get one that says champs if you don't want to align to a team, but it's putting more digital assets into digital wallets in a way that I still think feels very much like, you know, you're not on the blockchain, you're just having fun. And it seems like that's kind of their goal to be kind of the bridge between and the fact that these blockchain assets happen to exist, but they're not hyper calling out that it's the blockchain. No, they're not calling it out at all. I think you're reading that completely right. I think what Reddit is trying to do is encourage people to spend more time on Reddit because that's their you know business objective. So this means sort of developing this collectible avatar project and there will be a series of collabs, you know, that are continue to grow and build. I think that's really their end business objective. And, you know, I'm hugely bullish on what they're doing. I've done some little bits of work with them. And I think that Reddit strategy is by far the most effective in terms of scale and in terms of Reddit designing a Web3 product that's interesting to Redditors. It's not necessarily like targeted towards this Web3 native crowd, but really something that their consumers want that has the ability to be portable to sort of across the internet if the user so chooses, though that's obviously a pretty small percentage of people. I think this, you know, collectible avatar where you pick your jersey thing, it's actually going to drive more net new users to Reddit. And I think that's like their sort of core objective. And it happens to be built on the blockchain, which I think is really genius. Absolutely. Well, I know our guest is waiting. So with that, after the break, we're going to talk to Erica Wicks-Sneed. She's the global VP of the Web3 Studio at Adidas. I am such a fan of what Adidas has done. They're one of the early brands coming in. They've had some tremendous success in it and a core set of learnings that I think a lot of folks will really benefit from in understanding what they're building and who they're building it with. So after the break, we will talk to Erica. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, where Web3 meets IRL, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer marketers, advertisers, brand leaders, creators, builders, founders, entrepreneurs, and more. We are here with an amazing guest. This is Erica Wicks-Sneed. Erica is the global VP of the Web3 Studio at Adidas. Really excited to hear both about her journey, the Adidas journey into Web3, some of the stuff they're working on, and really just get her take on the space, especially as it relates to digital and physical, as it relates to kind of the topic of fashion that's been coming to the NFT space. Every night I just spoke about a drop from Terry Mugler this morning. So we're really interested in, you know, kind of understanding your take on that. But first, Erica, I would just sort of love to understand you and your career. You were at Google, you were at Uber, you were at PayPal, you're now at Adidas. Like, what's got you to here? And just give the audience a little bit of your background. I have had like the career that I like to explain is like the dream of any maybe 16 or 18 year old boy. 
because it started in motorcycles and I got into action sports where I led all surf, skate, snow, BMX, supercross, motocross for Toyota. Got to jump into gaming where I led the global launch of PlayStation 4. Then from there, I really fell in love and like interactive experiences. And I want to say it was around the time that augmented reality, virtual reality, everybody started to talk about gaming. It was like the next rise because PlayStation 4 was also the same kind of time period of Xbox One launch. And then it felt like gaming took off. And I jumped over to Google where I helped major, major brands launch things like, you know, Disney launched Star Wars and Guardians of the Galaxy and Netflix launched their Marvel collaboration. And so I was at Google getting to lead a creative think tank of how you think about VR and AR and digital first strategies for brands. It did that for a while and had a lot of fun and then wanted to do something that felt like I had more ownership than kind of telling brand marketers what is the most culturally relevant thing to do for their business and got the call to join Uber. And Uber was super interesting because here they were revolutionizing what I think it was this paradigm shift at the time of the shared economy. And decentralization is really at the heart, like the first step of decentralization is what Uber and Airbnb, I think, ushered in. So I got to be at the forefront of helping a product scale that scaled rapidly turn into a brand that people loved. And through that experience, got to really see a lot of the inequities and the systemic problems behind you know, the demise of what's been happening around us with religion and government and institutions and the financial sector, which have just made it really hard for people to earn a credible living and a dignified living. And I joined PayPal because I really fell in love with the new leader they hired, Allison Johnson, who was the CMO of Apple. She left Apple after spending a decade with Steve Jobs to go reimagine PayPal and Venmo and family of brands and bring a lot more of joy. And she really believed in purpose at the heart of the business. And so that's when I got into fintech. And while I was working with her, got to help launch cryptocurrency as a consumer-facing proposition in the PayPal app and really understand like what is cryptocurrency? What is the paradigm shift that it's going to be able to enable when remittances have freedom to move and the market has the freedom to move balanced with the fact that I just came out of Uber watching people migrate all over the world and trying to find a fair way to earn a wage. So flash forward, I had my own baby, the pandemic came, I had an opportunity to really think deep about like, where do I want to go next? And what's important to me as an individual? And how can I make sure I'm marrying my professional career with like my core values and what I truly believe is important? And I love business. I love business. Like, I feel like I'm put on this earth to use business as a mechanic in a forum to help, you know, change the world in positive ways. I really like truly believe that. And Adidas gave me a call when I was probably still pregnant with my first kid and talked to me for about a year. And it was around that time coming out of the pandemic and like just really understanding there's a lot of broken things in the world, right? We were all experiencing Black Lives Matter. We had already gone through Me Too and we've gone through Time's Up and we're seeing social injustices kind of get somewhat fixed, but mostly just discussed. And the conversation was at a fever pitch. And I was thinking, you know, what better than to use a global brand that's job is basically selling culture and has the ability and the power to shape and reshape culture and bend trends to jump into a brand that has that much authority and 
use that power and leverage to help push the values that I believe in that are somewhat emergent into the center of commerce. And so I joined Adidas Originals to be the global vice president of marketing and communications for everything that sits under the trefoil. So that's the lifestyle business, footwear, apparel. It's responsible for the collabs you saw with, you know, let's say the Gucci collaboration, Gracewell's Bonner. It has basketball relationships. Ivy Park fall into that. It's a huge portfolio over a $10 billion business. And during the time that I joined, like the brand also needed its own repositioning because it was suffering for years of sneaker culture not being as hot anymore. But hype had become oversaturated. It become all about consumerism. We're making way more products than people are buying. Like it needed to clean itself up and stand for something bigger than just hawking shoes, you know, scarce limited edition products like it had been doing for maybe the last four years. It wasn't working. And that's when I started to learn about NFTs. Now I'd already known about cryptocurrency. I'd already been like in the space of fintech. But NFTs really helped me understand how it can become accessible to pop culture and become a vehicle for comic books, a vehicle for authentication of physical goods, how it could be bridging a gap between things that feel like they're collectibles and this like human behavior of commodities that have more of an emotional value to them because there's some intrinsic connection to other people that are collecting and you get to be part of a like-minded community. And that's when I started the Metaverse Task Force within Adidas, which was like a total side hustle in front of my real day job. But from there, nine months journey, I, you know, am a brand strategist by trade, having done a lot of brand repositioning work. I approach this project just like I would define a market for any other brand I would ever want to work for or work with. And so I went through my same process, which I would be happy to give away to basically develop a foundational brand strategy for why Adidas should go into crypto and Web3 and how. And that resulted in what you saw with the launch of Into the Metaverse, which was the first collaboration with the Punks Comics, the Board of Yacht Club, and G-Money. Then from there, I mean, we were probably a bit quiet in 2022, but now I have the privilege of making that side hustle my front hustle. And so it is the full-time job now looking after how Adidas moves into token-gated experiences, token-backed physicals, collectibles, everything else that would be touching web 2.5 and web three into the future. Amazing. There was so much in there, Erica. And, you know, Sam and I, I think we're on episode 12 of Generation C and we've interviewed a lot of amazing executives. And I love how you are so driven by your passion. And I think even when you're describing your career journey, you fell in love multiple times with different industries. And you have this like common through line of using business as a force for good and positioning yourself at this sort of bleeding edge of, culture and technology. I think a lot of times people sort of get wrapped up in the technical component, but the cultural relevance is what actually drives consumers to care. And ultimately, that's what drives brands to want to participate in this type of thing. To you, you mentioned, you know, Web 2.5 and Web 3. How are you defining that within Adidas? And is it Adidas or Adidas? This is the question we all need to know. Let's start with that one because it's so easy. First of all, Adidas is what it is because the brand is named after Adi Dossler. And Adi Dossler is a German fellow who started the business, total passionate shoemaker, craftsmanship, very hands-on guy. But his nickname is Adi. So it's Adi Doss when you're in Europe. 
But when you're from Southern California like me and you got introduced to the brand through Run DMC, it's my Adidas. And so I say Adidas and I don't think there's any wrong way to say it, but there's just depends on what continent you're from probably gives you the twang of how you're going to pronounce it. So to your other question, Avery, Web3 for us, I mean, at the very heart of it is experiences that are going to be powered by blockchain. So it's experiences that can include an offering, products and services that will be on tokenized platforms. And by default, it also includes decentralization or some sort of ownership component that gives it back to the community. And then it also enables community and co-creation collaboration in the heart of what you do. So that's how we're thinking about it today. I think the way we also are playing with Web3 is once you're developing digital artifacts and products, those can oftentimes be ported to Web2 or gaming experiences like AR, VR, styling my avatar, being able to wear the World Cup jersey in Roblox, being able to put on the Into the Metaverse tracksuit on my Snapchat Bitmoji. We can port back into Web2 or Web2.5. And so we're taking that approach now because the whole point for us in Web3 was to reestablish that Adidas really is the original collaborator brand. We created collaborations way back when. We've probably overdone it in some ways. And it's time for us to reimagine what the collaboration means when it's decentralized. And so that's the spirit that guides our steps into Web3. The brand has the opportunity to play this curatorial and cultural role as the sort of curatorial layer in between the creator economy on one hand and the ownership economy on the other, right? That there's this happy hybrid that happens and the vehicle may be an NFT, the vehicle may be your sneakers, you know, sort of doesn't matter. And I'm sort of wondering your thoughts because I think what Adidas saw in, you know, the 80s with Run DMC, where there was reluctance to be involved until they saw the power of the community, which said, no, we're going to pull you, the brand, in with us. And there was a moment that I think suddenly, I'm sure it was an unlock for whoever the marketing team was there. I think it was in that Netflix hip-hop documentary that talked about this. And I see that very similarly in the sense that you now have a digital opportunity to connect people with culture and reward them for being involved. But you can really align with creative entities, really amazing thought leaders, and bring these collaborative experiences. Is there a role? for the brand to really just be, you know, the handshake emoji between these owners and these creators, but seen through the lens of Adidas already has a halo effect that might be beneficial. Yeah, Sam, I mean, yes, and to everything you're saying right now, Run DMC wasn't found by Adidas. Run DMC was selling out Madison Square Garden two nights in a row when Adidas showed up and was like, oh, <laughs> you brought us in to this movement that Black culture is running with and leading. You, Run DMC, were the, let's say, ones leading the charge, using music as your forum to champion and challenge you know, justice for Black Americans at the time. And they were putting lyrics in their songs that were somewhat controversial they weren't getting a lot of airplay and airtime outside of you know really niche channels until a brand like Adidas did finally step in and say, okay, we are going to officially associate with you and legitimize this music. And that was a huge tipping point. And look at us now, we're like the 50th anniversary of hip hop is going to be celebrated this year. 
And there is no greater like musical genre, I believe, that's impacted culture than hip hop. Like it's phenomenal. And I want to say I was also at some of the tipping point where I saw gamers and the gaming community go through this, where I was presenting to the heads of Taco Bell when we were launching the PlayStation Vita and they wanted to make a commercial with gamers, but they wanted to put them in the basement of the commercial and grandma's house eating pizza with zits on their face, like the nerdy kids. And we were like, you can't do that. Like that is a misinterpretation and appropriation of this culture of gamers and you're not taking them seriously. And so if I even go back and look at the Taco Bell ads, they took the feedback and gamers all of a sudden saw themselves reflected in a way that felt cool, incredible to how they really wanted to be perceived in culture. And Taco Bell put it in a huge, like 20 plus million dollar media campaign. That was a great big moment for them. And, you know, PlayStation helped to legitimize that playing video games makes you feel like a part of the epic self you don't get to feel in everyday life. And you're not a nerd in the basement because you're playing games. And I think we're going through this again. I actually don't separate the creator economy and the ownership economy. I still look at them as very much connected. And those two pieces build into identity, which is owning your ability to express and breathe life into the commodities or the products that you choose or the brands you choose to represent yourself. And so I think you're right. We're at that tipping point again, where there's another great big paradigm shift where creators are starting to wake up to the fact that they can use blockchain and the mechanics, you know, around blockchain to make things that they think are worthy to be put into the world, own them, get remittances for that. And now brands, and I think brands are waking up to the fact that like, you cannot be a closed elitist ecosystem. You actually don't control your brand as much as you think you do. It's how the audience and the end user wants to take it and run. And the shared economy taught us that you open an Uber app and you press a button and you get in a ride with someone who is not an Uber employee. So we already have business models that are doing this today that we learned from in the last generation. And now I think Web3 is supercharging that. I think once you make that unlock, that's also why we tilted the trefoil on its side. It's part of the reason why we're also f***ing with our own brand standards and we're kind of disrupting ourselves by stepping into Web3. Amazing. And Erica, we're very familiar with sort of what your journey has been like in 2021, which I think was a watershed moment to see a brand like Adidas, you know, working directly and launching a collection and collaboration with, you know, these three other sort of leaders in this space. And since then, those leaders have gone on to be like front row fashion shows for some of the hottest brands out there. I think you lend a lot of credibility to them. And they, of course, lend a lot of credibility to you within this, you know, small niche community of NFT natives. Can you talk a little bit more about like what that process was like for folks who might not be familiar and then also how that sort of paved the way for the Three Stripes studio, which is now like its own whole enterprise. And as you said, your full-time job. Yeah, I guess I have to take you back because when we did these deals and started to identify like, look, we're going to do something in Web3. We definitely want to get into the space, but what would be the right sorts of partners to help us learn about it while also do it in a way that feels authentic and native and actually makes the space better. Like that's also something like, let's make sure if we're going to show up, we're going to leave it better than we found it. And we're going to have a greater impact on it. G money was really interesting because at the time he was just out there evangelizing and trying to remove the barriers to entry, help people get educated, thought partner, but like also just 
giving away knowledge for free, not trying to cage this up and make his own money on it. He was trying to give it away and help people understand the space. Then you have the Board API Club who did this crazy move of putting commercial rights into the NFTs. And I know that's a whole other conversation right now, but that is fundamentally what they did was for the first time ever create a community of intellectual property and say, you own this holy, go make whatever you want. And they were not doxxed. No one knew who they were. So we actually have a contract signed by people that even when I went into Google Maps, like to look them up, couldn't find them. If you go into Google, you didn't really know who they were. So it was very risky. There were a couple of times I felt like I could get fired in my career. You were like, hi, lawyer. This is Gordon Garga. Like, don't worry about it. He's not doxxed. <laughs> right. He's a monkey. It's fine. <laughs> Trust me, those calls happened. And then you have the Punks Comics and G-Funk. I mean, what a legend. Such a pioneer of helping to show other Web3 projects and NFT projects what's possible. And they took the simple idea of a comic book and what a tangible way to understand NFTs than through reading a comic book and getting to own that comic book. And it's so associated and crossover into streetwear culture. So they felt like three really powerful partners of ours. They were incredibly collaborative. I think they were also really gracious and helping to guide us. And yeah, so we decided to strike a partnership with them. And they took also some risk on us because I know they were trying to build their own projects and businesses as they moved. But I agree with you, Avery. I think looking back, they've also really changed. Like Board of Yacht Club is now Yuga Labs and they're hiring the president from Activision Blizzard and they're completely becoming a huge conglomerate and massive you know, business in their own right. Then you've got what Pixelvolt is doing. You know, They're now become a bigger IP company and they have multiple products and projects underneath their wings and they're getting into sports. And Gmoney now is Admit One and he's got his own projects that are moving on. And there's a lot of other brands that have entered the space, but it's been really powerful. And honestly, just I'm grateful to see how successful everyone has been. And maybe we played a small role in that or a big role in that. But that's what I hope this brand doesn't lose. I don't want us to get too big. I don't want us to just work with the ones who've made it. I want to make sure too, that we always stay true to our essence of when our brand is at our best of like embracing the outsiders, playing in the edges of the space exploring those new emerging technology and creators who don't have a big platform because we have a huge platform. And so I really want to make sure we can continue to give that away, which is why we decided not to do an acquisition. Our competition made an awesome acquisition. Great. They have an awesome engine. Did they get to jump ahead of us a bit in some of their moves? Absolutely. But I don't think that's our brand move. I think that's their brand move. And so I still think we'll be more of a decentralized approach and how we show up because that's inherent to who Adidas' DNA is. Into the Metaverse was kind of the first project. Then if I remember there was a, was it a Prada, Zach Lieberman opportunity? So utilizing a real creative coding artist for something that felt a lot more luxury and a lot more exclusive. Was that also part of this Web3 team that was pushing that forward? Yeah. How does it work with partners and sub-brands? I mean, we have an incredible roster of people that Adidas has collaborations with and Prada were really interesting partners because here they are probably one of the most respected and revered luxury houses. And at the time, they really gave us creative control. And even though it's a luxury project, right, here we are working with a new artist to make fine art. All of the pieces in that canvas were sourced from the community and they all received their own NFT. And now they also have co-ownership of this piece of art. So when it goes off and is sold or is utilized or the rights get sold off, the community benefits. So I think it was a beautiful example of this idea of new luxury. And we've been working a lot on what does new luxury mean when you're taking and kind of bending the old standards of elitism, 
and high price points, and you're actually bringing in community to co-create and giving them participation and ownership of things that feel limited edition, but still have high design quality. We spoke about it last week, Avery. Mojito put out a kind of list of the most successful brands in Web3, all based on some Dune Analytics scrapes that they had done. And Adidas was in number three or four, I think, in kind of volume. What does it feel like to be a brand where, you know, every partnership you have, every dollar you make is transparent in the sense that, you know, someone gets to say, oh, Adidas made $5 million, $10 million off of this. You know, whereas in the olden days, we would just, you'd release numbers based on when you wanted to and in in whatever accounting method you thought. We labored that conversation for so long because you're airing your dirty laundry because it's an open ledger and everyone can see. Everyone could go look how much money Adidas made versus G-Money versus Punks and Yuga. And there have been debates like, did these people deserve this? At the end of the night, you have to go to sleep (laughs) and be cool with your split and your sweat equity that you invested in something. We did not print a ton of money as Adidas in the first launch. Even though it raised quite a bit of money, we shared it equally with the partners. And that was a really choiceful move we made. Because again, I think people that really know this space will call out and know brands that are in it that are trying to make it better because they've arrived. And even if only one person in the podcast understands that, I think that means a lot to people that care about what this paradigm shift represents. And so we have the really hard challenge now of a self-sustaining business model in the Three Stripe Studio, which means what we kill is what we eat. And so we do have the desire this year to start to generate some real revenue that can continue to fund these projects. And we're in a bear market, right? But so is every other market. Like everyone is down right now trying to figure this out. And that's just the challenge. And so I think our heart's in the right place. We're going to continue to have those values lead us. And hopefully that attracts collaborations and community that want to build with us even when times are down. And I think that's going to be the case. And we are going to put even more rigor in place. Like I know the numbers. I know the secondary market for tradable goods is $77 billion. I know wearables are going to be up to 146 I know we're looking at virtual only wearables turning the corner around you know, $46 billion. We look at these numbers. We're looking at the market. We're trying to build a business. But we want the ethics and the values to be never forgotten while we're building. And so I think that's the balance we're trying to strike. Digital fashion to me is like the most obvious, super clear use case. Gen Alpha is growing up wanting digital items first. They're living in a digital first reality. And I think there's the like short term, like, of course, challenges of self-sustaining business models. But then there's the medium and the very long term opportunity, which is just goes from big to massive. So Erica, you know, as you're thinking about sort of structuring the future of the Three Stripe Studio, you guys have a very intentional marketing that's actually specific to your Web3 efforts. You have Indigo Hers, you have your own Discord, you have communication channels that are really Web3 focused. I think that's a question that a lot of marketers are sort of grappling with. If they're exploring, they're experimenting, should they keep this on sort of one social main brand handle, split this off? Can you talk a little bit about sort of your decision and how that's played out to foster a community and also build a business specific to the Web3 studio? Yeah. I mean, anyone as a marketer knows one of the biggest challenges is building an audience, right? And then at the end of the day, is that my audience or is that audience belong to Instagram and Mark Zuckerberg? 
right? Because they can turn those lights off anytime or start to throttle you and charge you. And so your ad budget is ballooning because you're just trying to talk to the people that you organically built over time. That's where I think we are in the age of social media. And I don't know about you marketers, but our budgets across the company are not looking as hot this year. And the result of that is because the costs of doing social media driven business is exploding in costs. Plus, you know, influencers want their cut as well. And it's just no longer been sustainable. And quite frankly, I think the only thing that's a smart choice is cutting out some of these disintermediaries and building a relationship with the people that you want to cultivate a longer, more fulfilling relationship with. And this takes me back to these old acronym, customer lifetime value. I think all the brands and marketeers should be thinking about how do I grow and foster a direct relationship to build CLTV. The subscriber businesses are already there. They know how to do this. That's what they talk about. But that's what we're talking about inside Three Stripe Studios. So we want to find and identify people that want to build with us for the long haul. And then we want to go where they are. So we absolutely made the choice we need Discord. And we have to be able to fund Discord. So we do have a full-time team. We have a community team. We have seven moderators on 24-7. Discord can be a super body. And so we also have a whole tech team who's trying to keep it safe and debug it and make sure no one's getting hacked. That's a lot of work to put into that. But like those are the costs of doing business in this space to then set up your ability to have a relationship that's direct to the end user. And the really smart brands are going to get it. This is building almost a CRM platform above the fragmentation that you currently have. So you don't have a disintermediary anymore in between you and the end user. So that's the power of blockchain. I think it's going to take years to build towards that. But that's where I think marketers who really got it are like, oh, shit, that's big. Then I think the CFO office is also like, oh, wow, tell me more. Like, I can not only make revenue on the first time an item sold, but maybe secondary in perpetuity. And I can even change the way the smart contracts are working at a given time. Like, yes, you can, CFO. So... Going to explore new business models is also a very powerful opportunity for brands who might be looking at the erosion of maybe the sale of traditional business models and channels. And so we're getting into adjacent spaces and they don't want to share too much, but like that is just an opportunity where I think businesses can now look at adjacent business models or sectors or competitors or frenemies that they might have seen as a wholesale partner, they can start kind of like stretching their brand and their business a bit more. We've talked about the fact that, you know, Rolex now wants to own its own secondary market. We've seen some of the challenges with authentication that are happening around things like StockX. Do you think in a broad macro perspective that there is an opportunity for the blockchain provenance and physical items to all sort of have a rethink on those behavioral practices that really helps brands like yourselves maintain authenticity. Absolutely. To make that work, the physical good needs to start combining the software and the hardware. And I don't think it's going to be perfect out of the gate, right? You can't put an NFC chip inside a soccer cleat today because two kicks and you shatter it. So I think there's going to need to be really interesting ways to authenticate at the manufacturing level items. And there's crazy experimental things happening in art. I don't know if you've heard of this, like people are putting dust, similarly to like Google playing around with jacquard and the threads that have haptic touch capabilities. There's NFC capabilities being built into a dust you can put into paint, or maybe you can put into a physical object that can't be cut out and can't be removed or the items damaged. 
I think the more we'll play with that in the next few years of the convergence between hardware that can behave as a guaranteed authenticator for a period of time will help to close that gap. And Sam, you're right. I think it'll help over time remove counterfeits and inauthentic goods and the black market that exists around that. And yeah, that's one use case. Anybody that has an item that needs to be serviced or could go on and have a second life, like Gen Alpha, Gen Z, like we care about sustainability. Like you millennials and Gen Xers have kind of handed us a burning planet and have told us like, figure it out while you're also like preaching consumerism. So I think they're looking at that being like, breathe new life into these items, upcycle them, recycle them, give me another use case for them. And it could be the next rise of collectors and people who have held on to special objects and vintage objects or have excess waste and they can make something new and beautiful out of it. We're seeing fashion and luxury start doing this. I think it's only a matter of time of that getting down and trickled in to larger mass scale brands affecting their offering. And Avery, Gen Z is going to expect it. They're going to demand it. Otherwise, they're going to stop buying from your business. 100%. So on that note, Erica, what advice would you give to brands who might not be as cool as Adidas but you know, they're consumer marketers, they're interested in this stuff, they're interested in exploring. What would you sort of recommend to those folks as they start to chart their path in Web3? You're very bullish. I think there's a lot of polarizing headlines out there right now. A lot of people have stuff on ice that they're waiting until you know, the right time to launch. What would be your guidance to consumer marketers who are curious and interested in this space, but maybe a little uncertain? I think first and foremost, you need to talk to some of the leaders and pioneers of this space. Because you got to be able to separate the signal from the noise. And there is a ton of noise. And there's a ton of surface level speculation and bias that's coming into this. And you need to remember, we're living at a time where we're now in the intention economy. And so crummy, salacious, clickbaity headlines are probably what you're seeing. But you need to go talk to the people that are pioneering the space and who've been early adopters to really understand the underpinning of why people are really fascinated by this and what it is that's drawing them to it. So act like an anthropologist, go do ethnographies and qualitative conversations, get out of your bubble is number one, because a great marketeer understands you need to first identify like what are the emotional drivers that are fueling the growth of this market. That's what I would first understand. Then the behavioral sits on top of that, right? Then it's like, well, what are they doing? Are they collecting profile pictures? Because that was like 2021. Or are they like creating custom avatars? It feels like that 2023 is going to be the year of the avatar. Or, you know, AI is now this new thing. These trends are going to come and go. But we've been talking about these things for years. So this is just the cycle of hype that's going to start coming and continuing. I would recommend don't get too caught in that. Really understand first emotionally how you can benefit and your brand values and what you can offer can connect to those emotional benefits and then find the right way to go to market with something that can help you drive the behavior that you want and plug in in a relevant, credible way to how people are behaving and acting in the space. I would make sure you do both things separately to decide your way in. Good old consumer research. It still matters. (laughs) Always, always. And I think the one thing I'll also say, and having been the leader of this project, it is not tops down. The worst advice I get (laughs) usually comes from the board. And they'll tell me things and I am like, yeah, 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 okay. 
that's never going to be the way in. You have to be the leader who can collapse the distance between the people on the front line that are completely like maybe degens, but the ones that really are in it, playing in the Discord, experiencing chat VR, like jumping into the new betas on the other side, like that's the team you want to get closest to and understanding the space. And then helping that to translate how that makes sense in the way that the board and executives can be able to buy in and the business can make sense of it. That's also something important is you probably have the talent in your own company. You just need to invite them in and have an open door policy and listen with both ears. Erica, thank you so much for spending so much time with us for giving so many interesting lessons, anecdotes, history, perspectives. I think this is what our audience needs to understand, which is this, you know, these are not three month press stunts that you're trying to do just for some impressions. These are fundamental opportunities to change your business, which I think you've illustrated out wonderfully. So thank you so much for giving us that time. Thank you so much for having me. And I know it's tough. And I know this is probably the hardest job as being a marketer. But I think if 2017, the buzzword was purpose. And, you know, that didn't go great for all of us. Like we haven't really seen that move forward. I really think Web3 builds it in fundamentally because blockchain forces you to really think with your values and behave that way as a brand, which is where if I think you come from that place as a business, you are going to make it. Avery, that was an amazing discussion. I think Erica dropped so much knowledge on us. One was the idea that Web3 has purpose built in, I think is a really fascinating way to think something that we should think about in the future of that layer of purpose that we've always trying to get to in the marketing world. The other one, which I thought also want to get your thoughts on was the idea that Uber and Airbnb were sort of part of the early movement in the decentralization journey. Yeah. For one, I think Erica just has such clarity of thought. It's amazing to sort of hear her perspective of the opportunity from a business perspective, from a marketing perspective, from a purpose perspective, and also hear how her journey sort of led her to this space and how Adidas or Adidas, however you want to say it, is really leaning into these collaborations as core to their Web3 strategy. I love the point about purpose. I also love the point about you know the Web 2.5 to Web3. I think that's kind of a common thread we're hearing a lot these days of balancing the now with the next and balancing the sort of depth of ownership with the scale needed to sort of achieve fundamental business results for enterprise companies. So I love those two things and, you know, sort of the alignment around culture and technology intersecting and that being the moment when something matters. 100%. And as a brand that has been so involved in culture for the last 50 years, understanding that they're you know playing as deeply as they were when the light went off with Run DMC as they are now in the blockchain space is sort of refreshing to hear and I think is a lesson that other brand marketers should take away. I think Adidas participating in such a collaborative way was a really big watershed moment because they really did elevate these, you know, yes, people who were famous in the small circle of NFTs, but elevated them into a collaboration with like one of the, you know, biggest fashion brands in the world. I think you know, we've seen a lot of other fashion brands try to follow the Adidas model without quite as much success. You know, there's that like you have to be first or best to like really make a splash. They were definitely first. And I think the next iteration, they could be best um, with some of the convictions that Erica has. So we will see and we hope to see more from the Three Stripe Studio. I love that they built this out as like a specific business unit. Just shows how seriously some companies like Adidas are really taking this. It's not 
you know, a director of innovation's 10% job. It's like a whole dedicated team, whole dedicated social handles, whole dedicated sort of purpose and charter, and I'm sure matching set of KPIs. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's it for this week. If you like what you hear, share it, subscribe, tell your friends, let us know in the comments. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.